Hey, Adam Smolcom here, lead pastor of Vive Church. Welcome to our podcast. I pray that God will speak to you through the message today and that a greater level of faith would be unlocked in your life. God bless. Well, grab your Bible out while you stay standing and let's open up to 1 Corinthians. If you're new to Vive Church, I'm, I'm so glad you're here and I wanna let you know that you found yourself in good company today because we are a community that loves the Word of God. So if you find yourself close to someone who's responding during the sermon, please do not be alarmed. It ain't hype. Nor do I as the preacher need encouragement. They are simply coming into agreement with God's Word. And since we do honestly love and value the Word of God, that's where we centre our lives. That's where we preach from. It's where we get our direction, our insight and our learning. It's where we get revelation on how God has called us to live this life. I wanna come around a passage of Scripture in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, I wanna go ahead and just read from verse 18. And if you would read in your Bible together or on the screen, it says this, The message of the cross is foolish to those who are headed for destruction. But we who are being saved know it is the very power of God. As the Scriptures say, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and discard the intelligence of the intelligent. So where does this leave the philosophers and the scholars and the world's brilliant debaters? God has made the wisdom of this world look foolish. Since God in His wisdom saw to it that the world would never know Him through human wisdom, He has used our foolish preaching to save those who believe. It is foolish to the Jews who ask for signs from heaven. It is foolish to the Greeks who seek human wisdom. So when we preach that Christ was crucified, the Jews are offended and the Gentiles say it's all nonsense. But to those called by God to salvation, both Jews and Gentiles, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. This foolish plan of God is wiser than the wisest of human plans and God's weakness is stronger than the greatest of human strength. Remember, dear brothers and sisters, that few of you, were wise in the world's eyes or powerful or wealthy when God called you. Instead, God chose the things of this world that this world considers foolish in order to shame those who think they are wise. And He chose things that are powerless to shame those who are powerful. Verse 28, God chose things despised by the world, things counted as nothing at all and used them to bring to nothing what the world considers important. As a result, no one can ever boast in the presence of God. God has united you with Christ Jesus for our benefit. God made Him to be wisdom itself. Christ made us right with God. He made us pure and holy and He freed us from sin. Therefore, as the Scriptures say, if you want to boast, boast only about the Lord. As we continue in our vision series today, I want to preach to you from a subject I'm entitling, If Only. If Only. You ready for the Word of God? God, we ready our hearts right now. Speak to us, we pray. Amen. Amen. Go ahead, find five people. Tell them if only you would give me a hug, I would give you one back. Go for it, go for it, go for it, go for it. Five people, five people, five people. Amen, amen, amen. Yeah, take your seat, amen. Hey, so it's Thanksgiving week, everyone, and I am 
I'm pretty excited about it. To be honest with you, it's possibly my favorite American holiday, Thanksgiving, for several reasons, in fact, not just because I, I love food, I do love food, uh, but, but Thanksgiving also marks the beginning of the Christmas season. Any Christmas fanatics here? Some Christmas fanatics, been counting down since September, and uh, now we can officially begin the Christmas season at the end of this week. And not only that, I, I, I do love food. I am, I am, I would consider myself a foodie for sure. I, I live to eat. I love it. I'm the kind of guy who can finish one meal and already be preparing for the next meal. You know what I'm talking about? Anybody do that where you have a good lunch and you're like, hey, I wonder what we're going to do for dinner. I will never understand people who, who, who just eat to live. You know what I mean? It's just like, no, I don't like to survive. Food is now just a source of sustenance for your body. So you'll ingest all kinds of horrid things that are called healthy just because it's a survival technique. I, I don't eat to live. I live to eat. I feel like God has created gourmet flavours and He created us with a palate, intelligent palate, where we can enjoy the foods of life. Not only do I love food, I love meals. I'm talking about the meal setting, the, the, the sharing a meal with people. I mean, even if you don't like food that much, surely you like the meal setting, the table I'm talking about. Having people around the table. I love it because of the conversation. I, I love hearing the stories. I love locking everybody in. Maybe it's a dad in me, but I just love locking everybody at the table where you can't go anywhere, but we're going to talk about stories and we're going to tell some things. I love that whole meal setting. That's why I love Thanksgiving. What you're going to find this week at your Thanksgiving table is you're going to find different types of people. Even if it's just your family, you're going to find different types of people. But we always open our table and we invite people in. And each and every year, I'm fascinated by the kinds of people that you find are at the table. At the table, and firstly, there are, there are kind of people that we all love having at Thanksgiving. They're what you call the grateful. A few years ago, we had a bunch of uh, NFL players at our table. And this was one of the most fascinating, probably the best Thanksgiving we've ever had. We had like 10 NFL players around our, our table. And, and I gotta tell you what this means is NFL players don't eat, they consume. Like big guys, literally, we had this tiny little house too. It was this tiny little house and we had like every piece of furniture we could get together to make one long table. And it was almost like, it was one of those settings where someone had to get up so you could get in, you know what I mean? And, and we had these big burly guys at the table and they were just, man, they were consuming. This was like the only year in the history of our short time as Americans and doing Thanksgiving where we didn't eat leftovers for the week because there was none. Like literally one guy drank the gravy at the end. But what we loved about it is they were just so incredibly grateful. They kept thanking Kira for a home-cooked meal. It was just, it was an amazing time. We heard incredible stories. It was a great time. Now, now what you'll also find at, at some, depending on who you invite in, if you play it safe, you may not get this, but there will be from time to time another type of person who I consider as critical. You know these people. Like every time they eat something, whether it's a side or a main, they, they, they tell you how they've had it better. You know, they can be eating Brussels sprouts and they're like, yeah, well, one time I had Brussels sprouts with bacon. And you're like, well, we've just got Brussels sprouts. Okay. But they're critical. 
No matter what they have, they have a story. This time when I had it was amazing. This is pretty good. You know what I mean? Like, and we, we, there was this one, one uh, Thanksgiving where we had a critical guy over. It was fascinating. Like he, he took it upon himself as he ate the turkey for the first time upon first bite to give a food review to Kira in front of everybody, just informing her that she overcooked it just a little bit. The critical guy. There is a third kind of person that you will find at the Thanksgiving table. And, and I call this person the uncertain person. People like this, they just, they, they have this air of just, they feel lucky to be invited. You know what I'm talking about. It's like, you, you're kind and you're hosting, you say, hey, would you like to come to the table? They're like, oh, you sure? I'm like, well, what are you here for if it wasn't, it's not your first Thanksgiving, surely. Or you, you're like, hey, would you like some potatoes? And they're like, oh, if you don't mind. Like, no, I don't mind. Like, we're, I'm not gonna let you watch me eat. You know, it's like everything they do, it's like, it's uncertain. Now, I don't know who I like better. I think I actually like the critical person more than the uncertain person. Because while the critic is definitely self-centered, at least they have a level of confidence. You know, they've got this confidence just to critique what they're eating in front of everybody. The uncertain person constantly disqualifies themselves and questions everything. You see, something we've been trying to convey in this vision series is that only has degrees to it. Over the last few weeks, we've been turning only around. We, instead of viewing only from a limited perspective of I only, like I only have a single income or I, I, I've only been coming a little while, we've been inverting it. And we've been revealing that only the church is the hope of the world. And even though we're not yet where we wanna be, we realise that we've only just Begun. And today I want to present to you yet another degree of only, a degree that in some way demands a response on our part, because I'm wondering what it would look like for a church to, to embrace an if only understanding, an if only attitude, an if only perspective, and if only to our calling, if only the church would realize the power they possess. If only God's people would realise what's actually in their hands. If only you would put to work what you've already got. If only you would turn up to church on time. No, I'm sure you mess it up. Imagine what we could do. <laughs> if only, if only, if only. The, the air of possibility with if only. Now I have to warn you that there are some potential negative sides to if only, and it's often where people get stuck. You see, I'm, I'm a lot like you. I like to play the if only game as well. For instance, if I only had a billion dollars, <laughs> if only I was just a little bit taller, a little bit thinner, a little bit funnier, a little more confident, a little more charismatic, if only I was something that I'm not. It's often the if only where we find ourselves stuck in life. I would be happy for you to say amen with the Word of God at any point during the sermon. This is the human condition. If only disqualifying what we are and looking for what we don't have as if that's what God needs. As if that's our journey in life is to discover what we don't have because if, if we had it, then God would be using us. 
So if only I could find out what it is that God wants. If only I, I could summarize all the things that God's looking for, and if I could find them, then I'd be a candidate for God to use. If only. If only becomes one of the greatest disqualifiers in our life, in our service to our God. If only certainly sets a false expectation around what seems to be effective in this life. However, I wanna suggest that if only works best when it's based in reality. Yeah. So this is what Paul did. He didn't spend time wondering what he could achieve if only he didn't have such a wretched past. <laughs> no, he used this thing called humility as the key to his confidence. And I wanna show you with a passage in Ephesians chapter three. I want you to pay attention to the specific wording that the apostle uses here in this passage. Check this out. It's our series passage by verse seven, by God's grace and mighty power, I've been given the privilege of serving Him by spreading this good news. Though I am the least deserving of all God's people, He graciously gave me the privilege of telling the Gentiles about the endless treasures available to them in Christ. You see what He does here? Not only is He soberly aware of how undeserving He is to be used by God, but in the very same sentence, he acknowledges what should disqualify him and yet how that makes him a very candidate for God to use. Take another look with me. Verse seven, dig in a minute. He says, by God's grace. Everyone say, by God's grace. By God's grace. He establishes it's by God's grace. I have been given the privilege of serving him by spreading this good news, though I am the least deserving of all God's people. He graciously gave me. Now, this is not false humility from Paul. This was actually what we see as a genuine realisation that there is nothing he has done to deserve this calling. It's completely by grace. In fact, he explains a little more when he's writing to the, uh, to the Corinthians and he puts this in his first letter in chapter 15. He says, for I am the least of all the apostles. In fact, this, let's be real. I, I ain't even worthy to be called an apostle after the way I persecuted God's church. You see, before encountering Christ, Paul was terrorising the church. He was vehemently opposed to any followers of Jesus and, and he oversaw the brutal murder of many Christians or anybody who professed to follow the way. And so considering how actively he was in working against the church, now that Christ has called him, he said, if anybody can disqualify themselves, it's me. You might've just been passive in your opposition to God. I was active in my opposition to God. So if we're gonna do a disqualification test, I rank first. That's what Paul's saying. He was active in it. He, he, he said, I'm the least deserving of all the apostles, which would certainly be the case if God thought that that's what was required, that we were deserving. Instead, Paul reveals something spectacular in the next verse of Ephesians chapter three and verse nine. He says, I was, I was chosen. Man, I could just preach that. I was chosen. Do you know what it means to be chosen? It means there was a selection criteria that actually had nothing to do with you. What determines God's choosing? God. <laughs> maybe we need a doctrinal series. That's maybe what we need. What determines God's choosing, not you. Otherwise, he would say, I earned it. 
He doesn't say, I earned the right to explain to everyone the mysterious plan of God. He said, I was chosen. Paul's not even saying, I agree with God's selection. In fact, what he's saying is, if I was God, I wouldn't have chosen me. But God chose. Oh, I'm trying to preach to somebody right up in the back. I'm trying to make sure I get everybody that's disqualifying themselves today from God using you mightily as if it's got something to do with your past, your present, or your future. It's got to do with God. I was chosen to plan everyone's mysterious plan that God, the creator of all things, had kept secret from the beginning. God's purpose in all of this was to use the church <laughs> to display His wisdom and His rich variety to all the unseen rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. Right here, Paul does something subtle, but if you see it, it's powerful. Don't just read through Scripture mindlessly. Dig into the Word because the Word has a key change. He steps it up a a key. He, he, He takes it up and he says, I, and then he pivots to we. Right here, Paul pivots from revealing his calling to revealing our calling as the church. And he connects it directly to the wisdom of God. Check it out. He he says God's plan was to use the church to display his wisdom in its rich variety. The ESV calls it his manifold wisdom, which simply means there's layers to God's wisdom. There's levels to God's wisdom. I'm trying to lay some pipe right now. I'm trying to create a pathway we can preach from. I'm trying to build some momentum and some background knowledge about the way God wants to work things together so that you would come to the understanding that if only is not a negative thing, but if only I would realise what I've already got as a qualifier for God's service. Because God's wisdom's got levels. Levels. Most of us just live on the base level. The base level understanding of God's wisdom. But there's levels to the way God works. I want to talk about the levels to God's wisdom. Maybe we could do some biblical teaching this morning. You're already here. Might as well dig into the Bible a little more. Maybe we could unpack God's wisdom because God's wisdom is vastly different from human wisdom. This is primarily because human wisdom is only evident in hindsight. For instance, only time will tell if it was wise for Elon to spend 44 billion on purchasing Twitter. Hindsight. Hindsight. In fact, let me ask, what was the wisest decision you ever made? Now, of course, all the husbands are pointing at their wives, marrying. Of course, fellas, let me help you out. Let me ask again, what was the wisest decision you ever made? Thank you. You're welcome. That's if you're still married. I don't know why that's awkward. Like if you're still married, evidently the wisest decision. If you ain't married, it wasn't that wise. Poor choice. Why are you judging me right now? 
I'm not campaigning. You can't vote for me. I built this place. I started this thing. I'm here before you came. I'm here after you leave. You can't vote for me. The truth is, if you're still married, in hindsight, that was a wise decision. But if you ain't any longer married in hindsight, that was a poor decision because wisdom of man is built in hindsight. It's proven in hindsight when you look back at the point of the decision, it was a gamble. It was all a gamble because all you had to go off was some qualities. You, you, were, you, were, you were applying the wisdom that was within your capability of understanding. I'm assessing some situations. So far, they've been faithful and, and I'm really attracted to them. You're assessing their qualities, your feelings. There is a, a level of assessment to make the wisest decision available to you, but wisdom is only proven in hindsight. Are you with me? You love me again. Okay. <laughs> Don't know why that was so hard. <laughs> the D word. The things that surprise you, you know? Next week I'm preaching on divorce, okay. But it was, a, it was a gamble. It was a gamble. However, what Paul does is he, he considers a different way of wisdom that God works with. He, he, he draws us closer and he, and he also draws a steep contrast between God's wisdom and human wisdom. For instance, as we read in 1 Corinthians 1, it says, so, so where does this leave the philosophers and the scholars and all the world's brilliant debaters? God's, God's made the wisdom of this world look foolish. And you're gonna see why, because since God in His wisdom saw to it that the world would never know Him through human wisdom, He used our foolish preaching to save those who believe. Okay, so what is godly wisdom then? If we know human wisdom is measured in hindsight, what is godly wisdom? Well, Proverbs is often referred to as the book of wisdom in the Bible. In Proverbs 9, 10, we all know as good Bible students, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. So essentially a good place to start with unpacking the wisdom of God is the fear of God. Now the fear of the Lord is both foundational to true wisdom and also a pathway that leads to deeper wisdom. Now let's consider fear for a moment because it's a word that can have multiple meanings to it. For instance, it can refer to the terror that is experienced in a frightening situation. It can also mean the respect that's shown towards an authority or someone in power. And likewise, it can speak to the reverence and awe that is displayed in the presence of greatness. So when it comes to the fear of the Lord, it is essentially a combination of all of these things. Stay with me. You see, the fear of the Lord is recognising God for who He is. It's our spirit acknowledging the beauty and the splendour and the majesty and the power and the brilliance of the Lord God Almighty. And those that fear the Lord have a, a deep reverence for Him. It's an evidence that, not, not a, a deep weirdness, a deep reverence. Reverence doesn't mean weirdness. You know what I mean? You know the people who can't play, the people who, who you know, you, you just be hanging out and you're just doing life because we're humans and we live in a real world with real stuff and real social media and real crazy stuff. And you're like, hey man, how crazy is this? And you'll say something crazy and they're like, oh, I, I, I only talk about godly things. Like as if that's reverence. That ain't reverence, that's weird. <laughs> Literally, those people I'm straight up, I ain't hanging with this person. <laughs> 
Maybe you don't get that. I just get it as a pastor, but everyone's so weird. Oh, yeah, no, 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 brother pastor, fella. Uh, yeah, I wouldn't, yeah, I wouldn't even base myself in that kind of content. All right, we ain't hanging. No, a deep reverence is a deep understanding that by the grace of God, and I hold it with precious. That's why, that's why, I've, been, that's why I've been going in on the turn late to church, you know, turn up late. Like, I know it's like silly, but it's like reverence. Because I ain't going to treat the house of God like I treat my workplace or a kid's birthday party or just something else in my world. I, I, I'm going I'm to margin my time out. I'm going to... We've got majesty coming. And, and we're giving away for free. Because we don't want to be a hurdle. We want you to come. But I'm wondering, will you turn up to majesty the same time you turn up to Hamilton? Because at Hamilton, you're paying 350 bucks a pop for that thing. Even more? I hadn't seen it, but someone told me. Oh, but the house of God. Turn up at the end. I know why I'm on that. Why am I on that? You started me with divorce. I'm going in on everything right now. You know what? Paul does, he, he talks about this awareness, this reverence. It, translated, it translates into a, into a sincere commitment to obey Him. Now, since human wisdom requires hindsight for proof, when acting wisely, human wisdom considers impressive attributes, right? So Paul, what he does is he reveals an assessment with God's wisdom. He says, instead, verse 27, God chose the things of this world considered foolish, in order to shame those who think they are wise. And he considers, he chose things that are powerless to shame those who are powerful. This is strange. God chose things despised by the world. Things counted as nothing at all. This doesn't sound wise. And use them to bring to nothing what the world considers important. So we've got this contrast. A steep contrast that when human wisdom is making an assessment and a wise decision, we're assessing attributes qualities, what's impressive. God's wisdom is choosing what is not. <laughs> in other words, there's a key component to the wisdom of God that isn't present in human wisdom, which is called grace. Can I quickly also talk about grace since we're already here? You see, understanding the grace of God is critical to grasping the wisdom of God. And unfortunately, too many believers don't have a very good handle on grace because grace represents the unmerited favour of God, not merely a favour from God. God didn't do you a solid by overlooking your sin. He didn't just go, I'm going to cut you some slack and I'm just going to do you a favour by overlooking your sin. No, no, no grace isn't a favour from God. It's the undeserved, unmerited favour of God. By dying in our place and taking the wages of sin, which was death upon Himself. Romans 6.23, if you need to look it up later. That's why we're saved by grace. In fact, Paul presents it this way in Ephesians 2.8. He says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It's the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Now, this combination of grace and faith is essentially the essence of the gospel. Not only has grace opened the door to everlasting life, but it is one that is accessed by faith. 
Am I going slow enough for each and every person? When it comes to the fundamentals of faith, I don't know how fast to go. I don't know how long you've been walking with God. I don't know how much you've heard this. I don't know if you're brand new today, you've been walking with God and you need a reminder. But, but, but the fundamental of grace and faith is that grace opened the door, but you still need to step in by faith. And so this is the combination that Paul presents that it's by grace you're saved through faith. And grace and faith are two elements that form the bedrock of what the apostles were committed to as was evident in the early church. And we see it articulated in Acts chapter 20, verse 24. It says, but I do not account my life of any value nor as precious to myself if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. Now to understand what grace saved you from is significant. What's equally as significant is to know what grace saved you for. In fact, my newest favourite verse in my new Bible, I love my new Bible, and my newest favourite verse, just because it's, it's said differently, is in uh, John chapter 1, verse 16. It says, From His fullness we have all received grace upon grace. Ha, man, this is like more grace. We've all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus. You should memorize that one along with me. It's a powerful passage to understand the grace of God. James echoes this in his letter, by the way. You'd know this. If you're familiar with James, James puts it this way in James 4, 6, but he gives more grace. More grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. This is why Paul humbly presents his position in Ephesians. It's not false humility, ah, you know. No, no, it's, it's a genuine humility to realize I am the least deserving of all y'all. Out of everybody, I am the least deserving, but I'm aware of grace. It's by His grace. He understood that he wasn't chosen for the task because of good works. It was the very grace of God that he was chosen for kingdom service. In other words, while I don't understand his choice from a human perspective, in God's wisdom, his selection is based on grace, not merit. Okay, stay with me. This means then that if we disqualify ourselves, we discredit God's wisdom. Should I say it for the person who is starting to go to sleep? If we discredit ourselves, sorry, if we disqualify ourselves for some reason, if only I had this, or if only I was like them, or if only I had an Australian accent. <laughs> if we disqualify ourselves, we discredit God's wisdom. We actually... In one section of Scripture, it says we nail Christ back on the cross. We undo the work of grace in the mere fact of disqualifying ourselves. I'm not just talking about negative talk like you're having a bad day. Like you got on the scale and you're like, man, I put on weight, I'm fat. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about, oh God, you couldn't use me. I haven't got the training. If only I was like somebody else. If only, if only, if only. I need my worship team to come back before I keep going all day long. If only. 
If only the church would realize that God isn't looking for what we are. <laughs> Grace is a qualifier. I mean, this is how Paul ends his explanation of wisdom to the Corinthians. He says it this way, as a result, no one can ever boast in the presence of God. Now you understand why. Paul was realizing that compared to God's wisdom, if he was about to flex his wisdom, it would seem pretty pathetic because his wisdom will only be proved in the end. God's wisdom is applied at the beginning because it starts with grace. So that whether you're impressive or not, what you're going to find is God's grace is still impressive. So that even when you find that there's something that's good, then that's accounted to the grace of God. If you find that you're really terrible at even talking, you know, if you could look through all the Bible, you would find how many people God used that couldn't even muster a single sentence coherently. Like, like, like with the greats, like with, with Moses. Like he's like, hey God, I'm out. I can't really... Speak, every time I go to speak, I'm terrified, I've tried. I've been to Toastmasters and everything and nothing works. God's like, cool, you're right, you're terrible. But let's get Aaron, because he can. It's like, don't even let him out. Just makes provision. Just builds more people around you and puts more grace upon it. And there's grace upon grace. There's even more grace for the grace that you need. He'll grace somebody else to partner with you in the grace. And the wisdom of God, He looks at the things that you disqualify as great qualifiers for His grace. Oh, that means you need more grace? Guess what I got? I got more. I got more. Kwame, I got more, more grace than what you even thought. So no one can boast in the presence of the Lord. Because it wasn't by your doing and your choosing, it was by His grace. Stay with me, stay with me. He says, God has united you with Christ Jesus. For your benefit, God made Him to be wisdom itself. Christ made us right with God. He made us pure and holy and He freed us from sin. Therefore, as the Scriptures say, if you want to boast, like I know you got the urge. I know you like to flex on people. I know you like to show up and show out. I know you like to just talk about how good things went. He's like, if you've got to boast, boast only in the Lord. Like, like get the revelation that yeah, you are the least deserving, but look how good God is. Oh, I gotta tell you my testimony. I gotta tell you my testimony. Uh, when we started the church, when we began a decade ago, and we started out, we had so many critics. People who looked at Kira and I and were like, yeah, we ain't supporting that. We don't know if you should be doing that. It's a bit, thinking a bit big. You know, who are you? And, and we agreed with them. Wasn't like we had this testimony going, oh man, haters going, hate, you know, like let's just go anyway. No, we were like, maybe they're right. Actually, I, everything they, they say is actually true. And that's how the enemy works. Did you know that? He doesn't use false things. He uses truth. But he uses it against you. Where am I trying to look for my witnesses? 
It's not like He just makes up a fabrication so crazy that it doesn't even affect you. This is why the person who can hurt you the most is the person closest to you, your spouse. They hold the potential because they know you better than anyone. They know how to build you and they know how to break you. But the perfect display of marriage is the ability to break, but I don't. I hold it precious. I guard instead of breaking, I protect and I keep it. But I could use a truth, an insecurity, an element that I feel weak in to break down. That's what the enemy does. It's an element of truth in it, coated with lies. It's truth and lies He works with. It's what He did with Jesus. If you are the Son of God, well, He was, it's the truth. Tempted Him and here's here's what the enemy does to us, disqualifies us by baiting us with the truth so that we would back away. If only you had more training. If only you grew up in the church, then you would know how to build it. If only, if only, if only, if only. Paul says, if only we would boast in the Lord. (laughs) If only we would stop disqualifying ourselves. If only the church would start bragging on the fact that I am the least deserving, but my God is good. If only I could just agree with people and agree with them by saying, hey, you're right, I ain't the one, but God chose me. You see, we agreed with people. We weren't the best candidates. In fact, if I was picking people, I wouldn't have picked us either. But God chose us. So tough luck. It's who you get. So you have a part to play in God's plan or not. You don't get to select. God does the selecting. I'm doing the obeying. If only we would realise that we don't get to question God, we just get to say yes. If only we would realise that we boast and brag on the goodness of our God, that by His grace, He saw something that fitted us to His purpose and He called us out of obscurity and He is using us as an example of His mighty grace. So even when I don't do a great job, He still gets the glory. That's why the disciples are so glorious because in their weakness, God still chose them, a ragtag bunch of men without the experience or the pedigree, but canvases of grace. If only the church would realise you're a canvas of grace. You're a canvas displaying the grace of God, trying to eyeball everybody. You're a canvas for the grace of God. Not even the spectacular parts, the weak parts, the the bad parts, the, the shameful parts, the past parts, the parts that you've gone, Lord, can I forget? God's like, no, I'm gonna use them to be a revealer of God's grace that God can use the things of this world that are considered foolish to confound the wise. If only we would boast in the Lord. Hey, I hope you were blessed by that message. We release new content every single week here at Vive Church. And so if you don't wanna miss any of it, I would encourage you, go ahead and subscribe. Also visit our website, vivechurch.org to stay up to date with everything that's happening in the life of Vive Church. God bless you.